Okay. Well, please go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11. And um, so I, uh, many of you know, some of you do not know, that um, uh, Noah Markstrom did pass away. And uh, so we want to continue to pray for the family. And um, so, yeah. I'm going to read our text to us and then I'll incorporate all that together, okay? So please stand for the reading of God's word. As always, I'll be in the New King James Version. Your text is on the screen. And my goal really is to finish the patriarchs this morning. Easily said. All right. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of, his, of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Let's pray. Well, Father, we love you, and Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the many, the cloud of witnesses, Lord, who have trusted you and relied on your faithfulness. And Lord, that's that's what we need to know. And we need to trust you for it, that you're faithful. And Lord, that you're good. And Lord, with that in mind, we do lift up uh, Noah's family to you. And Lord, I, I can't even begin I wouldn't know where to begin and how to address it, really. But Lord, you do. And so you can touch hearts, you can strengthen, you can comfort in ways that none of us could possibly. And so I pray, Lord, that the family would experience your grace in that. Where they're weak, Lord, you can, you can provide strength. And where it hurts too much, Lord, um, you can secure them, Lord. And so just watch after them. Help them to grieve, Lord, with, within your protection. And just keep them through it all, we pray. And Lord, I do pray that as we go through the text today, that whoever is faltering in faith, that they would be strengthened. And uh, Lord, that all of us would be encouraged. So Lord, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Are you guys pretty warm? Oh. Um, You turned it down? Uh, Alan, can you hear me? Yeah, let's keep all the doors open and... Yeah, let's try that. You know what it was? It was so cold for that stent. Now the building's trying to figure out what to do. So I, th- I think it was 50 degrees when I woke up this morning at my house, or f- something like that. So anyway, let's go ahead and begin. Uh, 
I'm eager to look at Abraham and his faith. Verse 17 and 18, let's read it again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. I'm a little uh, canny up here. Not sure if you can fix that. Oh. Okay. I knew it was going to be my fault. The, the historical narrative of all this is found in Genesis chapter 22. And uh, Abraham offering his son, a very familiar passage. It's always interesting when I look at this, um, you know, what was it that called for a test of this nature, of this degree? Well, it, it is interesting that many years before all of this transpired, Abraham, you know, he lived in Mesopotamia with his father and his brothers. And it was there that the Lord originally spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12:1, And God said, get out of your country, away from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And so Abraham, he heard the Lord at that time, but he didn't fully obey the Lord. He offered the Lord partial obedience. How many of you have been there? Yeah, partial obedience. He indeed left Mesopotamia, as the Lord had said, and he went in the direction that God had told him, but Abraham didn't leave his father's household behind as the Lord had commanded, but instead he took them along with them about halfway to a place called Haran. So Abraham was willing to you know, accommodate some of God's command. He was willing to go uh, out of his country in the direction that God was saying, but he was unwilling to leave his family. He was unwilling to separate from them. And so Abraham lived in Haran until his father died. And then the Lord spoke to him again, repeating what he had said to him in Mesopotamia. And so Abraham obeyed by departing from Haran, but again, he didn't obey fully because this time he took somebody from his family with him. Who was that? He took Lot to Canaan, who ended up being a serious problem for Abraham and his children. And then in hindsight, if he had only obeyed the Lord fully, he would have just, they would have been spared of so many troubles. So once again, Abraham was willing to depart but he wasn't willing to separate from his family. So at this time in Abraham's life, he was a man of partial obedience. That's what characterized him. Okay. Yeah. So it's true that the man that God had chose to be the father of faith, he was not always faithful. Now, I'm not pointing that out to you know, pick on Abraham. Um, I'm pointing that out because it's true of everybody in this room that all of us are becoming what God wants us to be, okay? And if we didn't have stories like this, we would think that everybody had to be there the day they came to faith, okay? You wouldn't have anybody to identify with, amen? Yeah, we need that. So faithfulness was something that Abraham grew into 
It was something that God was making him into, and it was through testing and retesting that Abraham became faithful. And what is interesting about the life of Abraham is that God had a way of bringing Abraham back to similar situations that he had previously faltered in. Yeah. Sounds familiar? Okay. <laughs> so he's going to bring Abraham back to similar place where Abraham had not fully obeyed, and then God is going to require a new level of obedience in a similar context. So this testing and retesting, it really shows how concerned God was for Abraham's loyalty, Abraham's sanctity, Abraham's trust in God. Okay? So perhaps you know you are a man or a woman of partial obedience regarding one thing or another thing. You've obeyed, but you haven't obeyed fully. You haven't obeyed fully. Now, it's important that all of us understand that God is very interested in our loyalty, in our sanctity, okay, in our faithfulness to him. And so like Abraham, you will not progress spiritually until you experience mastery in however it is or whatever it is that God is testing you in. Okay, so if you're wondering why you're just not growing, perhaps it's because there is no mastery in something. You are not fully obeying the Lord and the tests in the same area keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. Yeah. Now, in the midst of all that, it's important that we understand that God is not tempting us to sin. James chapter 1, verse 13 says that God doesn't do that, can't do that, okay? But he is testing your obedience. He's testing your trust in him. And the thing is, is until God is satisfied, you will remain as you are. Or as we'll discuss in Hebrews 12, God will discipline you to move you on from where you are, okay? So, I don't know, which one do you like? Yeah. Uh, Hebrews 12 says that nobody likes discipline. Uh, <laughs> so trust the Lord, obey his word. And, and so it was years later, after Abraham had dwelt in the land of Canaan for many years, that we come to our story from Genesis 22, where Abraham is brought back to a place of testing once again, a place where he had faltered in the past, trusting God with persons. So twice previously, he failed to trust God with his family by obediently leaving them behind. He wanted them close. It was, it was too much to trust God with them by leaving them, by, with not being with them. And so now, in Genesis 22, 2, God speaks to Abraham and says, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, my worst day is not to be mentioned in a conversation with Abraham. Amen? Yeah. Nor should I ever compare God's demands on me with his. One thing is clear when it comes to Abraham, God is not content, is he? This testing demonstrates that God is not content with where Abraham is in his faith, or actually, I would say where Abraham was in his faith, okay? Not content. Now this is the test of all tests. It's the boy whom he loves. It also demonstrates that God is not messing around, is he? 
when it comes to our relationship with him, he's very serious. He's very serious, and he will secure the results that he wants. And sometimes the means that he does that is, is hard, is difficult. Okay. So here in this story, Abraham could either offer Isaac in obedience to the Lord or just refuse in blatant rebellion. And this time, of course, the stakes are much higher. Isaac's life is on the line. So Abraham could either lose Isaac in obedience or keep him in rebellion. And, and then to complicate things even further, God had promised, made a promise to Abraham that his lineage would pass through Isaac. But at this time, Isaac wasn't married and he had no children. And so if Isaac died, how could Abraham's descendants come through Isaac? Dead people don't have children. How could God fulfill his promise through a dead man? Did God forget his promise? How confusing. Which is it? Offer Isaac and make the promise obsolete or keep Isaac and ensure that God can keep his promises? Of course, the latter is most rational, saying that this whole thing is all about God's promise anyway, so it really makes no sense to offer Isaac. Now listen, those would be the mental exercises of an earlier Abraham, of the Abraham of partial obedience, of an unbelieving Abraham. It would be the Abraham of Genesis 12.5, who brought his nephew with him to Canaan. It'd be the Abraham of Genesis 12.12, who had his wife lie for him in order to save his own hide. It was the Abraham of Genesis 16 who tried to fulfill, fulfill God's promises for God by having children with Hagar. And it was again the Abraham of Genesis 20 where he had Sarah lie again. Again. But that's not the Abraham of Genesis 22. This is not the Abraham of half obedience and partial faithfulness. This is the Abraham who has matured through testing. He's been fashioned through struggling and beat down by the consequences of his own decisions. This is a different man at this time. And God is ready to prove him and Abraham is ready to be proven. He's ready for this one. Okay. The original grammar in Hebrews 11 verse 17 is important. The author uses the perfect tense where he said that by faith Abraham offered up Isaac. The tense is telling us that in the mind of Abraham the deed was done before he performed it. Well, that's interesting. See, in Abraham's mind and his heart, Isaac was already dead. Not good as dead, but dead. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac before he got Isaac on the altar. The offering had not yet been completed, but in Abraham's heart, the deed was already done. God told him to offer his son, and Abraham obeyed in his heart. How in the world could he do such a thing? How in the world could he do such a thing? The answer is in verse 19. Abraham had concluded that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Now, Abraham was aware of the dilemma. Okay about the promise of God, but he was certain that God would handle it. You see, at this point in Abraham's life, he'd become so convinced of God's faithfulness that even if Isaac died, he believed that God would raise him from the dead just in order to keep his promise. God doesn't falter on his promise. 
If God was able to bring Isaac into the world through Abraham and Sarah, who should not have been having children, then God was able to bring him back from the dead to fulfill his promises. And so by faith, Abraham's obedience was complete before the act was completed. Before it was completed. Another passage regarding Abraham's faith. Something we should all be growing into. You know, Ben was fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. I'd like to insert my name there. I hope it's not fantasy. But by faith, as we grow, our names should be coming into focus there, right? Yeah, being fully convinced that what God promised, he's able to perform, okay? So Abraham's so convinced that God would raise Isaac from the dead that before he climbed the mountain with Isaac, I love this, he turned to his servants and he said, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. That's faith, isn't it? Yeah. In Abraham's mind, he was like, I'm going to take Isaac and offer him at the top of the mountain, after which God is going to raise him from the dead, and then I'll return to you. This is Abraham full of faith, right? But there's more to the story. As Abraham and Isaac are ascending the mountain, Isaac, who doesn't have a clue, he, he looks at all their supplies and says, Dad, look, we've got coals and wood for fire, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham doesn't skip a beat. He says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Yeah. Abraham's not saying that Isaac would not be offered because on the mountain, God actually has to stop him from killing Isaac in Genesis 22, 10, and 11. See, Abraham responded that way to Isaac because he understood that Isaac wasn't really the offering that God desired. The only real provision for sin could not come from a man and we have to be something that comes from God. And so Abraham predicts that God would provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. It is interesting in the story, though, it's not a lamb that's provided. It's a ram. It's a ram. So Isaac's question, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? It's not really answered <laughs> in the text or in the scriptures, really, until... John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. Isaac could never have been a sufficient sacrifice. So God indeed provided for himself everything that was needed to satisfy justice. Yeah. And so finally, at the top of the mountain, Abraham built the altar, prepared the wood, and he bound Isaac. Mind you, Isaac is probably about 30 years old. So either Abraham was a fairly robust man at 130 or Isaac kind of went along with it. Whatever you say, Dad. Not my kids. <laughs> Isaac knows jujitsu. <laughs> there would have been bloodshed way before, way before the offering. <laughs> And with complete confidence in the Lord, he took his knife. And while he's in motion, 
the angel of the Lord stops him. He was going to kill his son, just as the Lord commanded him, believing that God would raise him from the dead. I'm not sure that we could experience any more relief than what Abraham did at that very half second. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. And then Abraham heard the Lord say to him, something he's never heard before. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham's faith was proven. His partial obedience, his half-faithfulness is something behind him. Amen? What a sweet place to be. So through the years and by way of experience, Abraham came to know that the promises of God were as good as reality. And so not even the death of Isaac could thwart God's faithfulness. He came to understand that God cannot be moved from what he is determined to do. He was convinced. So what are you convinced of when it comes to God's word? Are you convinced? Are you convinced? Are you convinced that the God you serve is a God who cannot lie? That by his very nature, it precludes the possibility of him lying. Are are you convinced that the power of God guarantees that nothing can make him a liar? Nothing can get in his way and stop him from fulfilling a promise. Now, we may be faithful people, but there are things in this world that can stop us from keeping our promises when we fully intended to keep them, right? I think we've mentioned trains in this context. I'll be there on time. And you're stuck at a train. Shani got stuck for 23 minutes behind a train the other day. And we were praising God that she wasn't going into cardiac arrest or something. How many times do you think that's happened since the advent of the train? (laughs) Are you convinced that the sovereignty of God ensures his determined outcome for your life? That all things will come to a good, divinely orchestrated end for those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes? Are you convinced? Are you convinced by the wisdom of God that he will fulfill his promises in the best way possible? I didn't say in the way that you feel like he should fulfill them, but according to his wisdom, he will do it in the best way possible. Those are the facts of Scripture. And what I love about you know, the, the unconditional promises of God, he will fulfill them even if you're unbelieving. And this is the, the really funny thing, or sad thing, I guess not funny, ha-ha, is that God's determined end will come to pass and you can either live your life trusting him to that end or you can live life out of your mind and struggling in unbelief and insecurity in the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, the faithfulness of God. You can live insecure or you can live trusting God, being patient with God because he's good. He's sovereign. Yeah. Now, the people of faith that we've talked about so far, uh, you know, they, they learned to trust God through their circumstances. They, they came to understand all of these things over time, okay? That his promises are as good as reality. They didn't start out that way. 
They didn't start that way. That kind of faith was something they grew into. And so for us to examine ourselves, are we growing into that kind of faith? Are we banking on the word of God? Is it to us in our minds, is it bomb-proof? Regardless of circumstances. Regardless of the amount of time that's passed. Okay. Let's finish verse 19. Ends this way. Abraham also received Isaac back from the dead in a figurative sense. Now, of course, Abraham didn't actually receive Isaac back from the dead because he never killed him. But because he obeyed God in his heart, it was like receiving Isaac back from the dead. You see, because he had gone through with it in his heart, you know, Abraham felt the, the sorrow that he would have felt if he actually killed him. And then he felt the joy that he would have felt if God actually raised Isaac from the dead. Whew, man, that's quite a day, isn't it? That's quite a day. But it was a day of faith. Are we having our day of faith? Are we having days of faith? One day at a time, trusting him. Or is your life marked with partial obedience and so you revolve back and you revolve back in the same test, in the same struggle? You know, I think that in the end we're going to really appreciate that God was relentless. <laughs> He's relentless. I'll not give up until He's satisfied. Okay. He's satisfied. The funny thing is, is that God had ordained that Abraham be the father of all those who believe, and therefore it was necessary that his faith be proven. And it was. His faith was proven. But his faith was refined through repeated testing. And the testing didn't end until God was satisfied. So what, what God has ordained for you and for me is what we should surrender to. And some of you know, some of you know what it is. Okay. You know, and there's always the obvious things. If you're married, it's been divinely ordained and your marriage exists for the glory of God and he is honored through faithful obedience to his word regarding your marriage. And so if your marriage is languishing, if your marriage is languishing, his word must become preeminent in your life or it will remain a mess. It will. It will. If you're a parent, it's been decreed by God and therefore doing family according to his word is imperative. Being faithful to his word, trusting God for the results. You know, Paul says our, sanct our, our sanctification is the will of God. And so until God is seeing the likeness of his son develop in you, you better hold on. Okay? He's appointed that for us. He's predestined us for that, to be conformed to the image of, of his son, Romans chapter 8. And so if there's anything in you that's out of line with Jesus, guess what? He's going to be wrenching that out of your life. So don't fight with him. Don't fight with him. Just let him do it. Life will be a lot more pleasant. Okay? Life will be much better. Nothing but our submission and cooperation to God's vision will do. Let's look at the faith of Isaac. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. 
historical narrative is in Genesis 27. Now, of course, in, in, in this story here, Isaac is blind, okay? And, and he didn't realize that he was being duped by Jacob. Nobody really did, except for God, huh? I should, like, quantify that. How many people did he actually dupe? Yeah, plenty of people. But in spite of all that, uh, Isaac blessed both of his sons according to what was in the future, which for Jacob had everything to do with God's promise to Abraham. And you have to keep in mind that he's passing on a promise that was never fulfilled to him. How easy is that? Passing on a promise that was never fulfilled to you, but still believing that God was going to fulfill it just as he promised. He knew. He was assured of it. So having never seen the promise by faith, he blessed his sons according to it. Now we started out in Hebrews saying that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Isaac's living that out, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Never saw it. But he's hoping for it. In his Trust in God was sufficient evidence to pass it on to his sons. I think we should be doing the same thing with our children. Our anticipation of God's eternal reward is unseen, right? It's unseen. But with great confidence, we should be expecting it, and we should be teaching it to our children so that they would look forward to it by faith. Looking forward. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now you read that leaning on the top of his staff bit, it's like, why did he put that in there? I think it's super important. We'll talk about it uh, at the end of that. This narrative is in Genesis 48. And the story is in the context of Jacob and all of his sons leaving Canaan to live with Joseph in Egypt, where there was food. Remember, the famine had just decimated the land. And the food was in Egypt because God used Joseph wisely to store enough grain for the people. And then when Jacob was dying in Egypt, it says that Joseph brought his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to Jacob to be blessed. And Jacob told Joseph, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, they are mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Jacob was saying that Joseph's two sons would be incorporated as two distinct tribes within Israel as if they were one of his own children. Now, there's reasons for that because some other people are going to be knocked out. Okay? So he had to fill in the blanks a little bit, keep the tribes. Okay? And you know, Jacob had apparently known all of this because he had received some revelation from God. But he also received some other things. Jacob also gave the blessing of the firstborn to Ephraim instead of Manasseh, who was the firstborn. So by faith, Jacob blessed the two boys contrary to the order of their birth and then placed them among the tribes of Israel, believing that God would establish them in the land among the tribes. It's all by faith. Jacob was assured of God's promise regarding the land of Canaan. Now, mind you, this has kind of snowballed to this place. Abraham and Sarah never inherited the promise. 
Isaac had never inherited the promise. Jacob never inherited it. But like Isaac passing it on, Jacob is now passing it on by faith, believing that his children will be established in the land. And then as the verse ends, the energy that Jacob had left, it says that he worshiped leaning on his staff. So he's saying also in there, it was by faith that Jacob leaned on his staff and worshiped. Okay. Leaned on his staff and worshiped in faith. Now what's implied here is that he was worshiping God for his promises regarding the future. He was worshiping God for his promises regarding the future. He didn't wait to worship God after the promise was fulfilled. He worshiped in advance because he understood by faith that God's promise was the same as reality. Worshiping in advance. He worshiped God for what he knew God was going to do. He didn't wait for evidence. He didn't wait to see if God was actually blessing the boys. He worshiped God in anticipation of it. Now, this is certainly not the Jacob of times past. Something has changed in Jacob's life. In his younger years, Jacob tried to use quid pro quo with God. This for that. He tried. Okay? Jacob agreed to worship God as long as God gave him what he wanted. So the story goes like this. He's leaving Canaan for Haran to live with his uncle because his, his brother wants to kill him. And after having a dream, he laid down in the place called Luz, and later it would be named Bethel. He lays down and goes to sleep. He has this dream, and in it he hears God's promise. And so when he wakes up the next day, Jacob said this to the Lord, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Uh, that's great. Yeah, and so God essentially ignores his foolish vow until Jacob was on his back to Canaan years later. So Jacob thought that he could manipulate God just as he had done to so many other people. But just before Jacob crossed back over the Jordan in Canaan, he was met, you probably know the story, by the angel of the Lord. They get into a little judo match and Jacob gets his hip dislocated. He lost. He lost. Okay? And it's something that, a reminder for Jacob that God was in charge because he limped on that leg the rest of his life. God will not be manipulated. He's God. He calls the shots. Okay? So at this point in his life, Jacob started out by saying, I'll worship you as long as you bless me. But then after maturing in the faith, he worshiped God before he saw the blessing. Things have changed, haven't they? He worships God beforehand. He worships God in advance, before the promise was ever in sight. Yeah. And not only that, it's the current context and circumstances that's important. Canaan, at the time that Jacob passes the promise on, Canaan was uninhabitable because of the famine. That doesn't look like the promise is going to be fulfilled, does it? It's uninhabitable. But in spite of that, he passes on the promise. I think that's beautiful. He passes on the promise, 
and then he worships in front of his kids. Yeah. He had a forward-looking faith that was demonstrated by his forward-looking worship. God isn't just trustworthy, he's worthy of our worship even when the goods have not been delivered. That's huge for Jacob. Okay. And it's probably big for a lot of us. So they receive the promise and they witness their father's faith. You know, and I think it's sad with Jacob, this may have been the only good example that he set in his whole life. But at least he finished well. Amen? At least he finished well. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. We still do that today, don't we? Not quite like this, but... The historical narrative is in Genesis 50, verse 22 through 26. Now, Joseph's faith is important because it it picks up where Jacob's left off in Genesis 48, verse 21, where Jacob said, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. So Jacob's faith was passed on to his son in spite of all that happened to Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. Uh, Things didn't always go well. For over 17 years, it was pretty tough. Well, not quite for 17 years, shy of 17 years. And then also he was separated from his father for 17 years. But the faith was still passed on. Joseph watched him die in faith. And so now Joseph is dying, and he's reassuring his brothers that just as Jacob had said, And just as God had promised, God is going to visit you and he's going to bring our people into the land of Canaan that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Joseph was so convinced of God's promise that he made his family swear that they would not leave his body in Egypt, but that they would bury it in Canaan. When you leave, I don't know when that is, when you leave, Make sure you don't leave my carcass here. I want that puppy raised in the promised land. Okay? I'm not walking from Egypt to the promised land when I'm raised. Okay? I want to be raised in the land. Okay? So 400 years later, they carried his mummy to the promised land and buried him in Shechem. And that's the, that's the land that was purchased by Jacob. And that's the land that was allotted to Joseph and his sons. Joshua 24, 32. Now I said mummy because... They embalmed his body according to the custom of the Egyptians, uh, as they probably did Jacob's body as well. So all these people of faith, never seeing the promise, but passing it on as if it had already come. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So this concludes the patriarchs and the people of faith from the book of Genesis. And uh, next is Moses, and Moses gets quite a lot of attention uh, from the author of Hebrews. And um, we'll get there. So I'm a, you're going to get you out a little early. It's been really weird the last few Sundays. We've had a lot of announcements. We've had... We're going to... I think we're going to have to be sure to dial it in so that everything can be a little more... Um, dialed in. <laughs> How's that? Ran out of synonyms there. So Go ahead and stand up and uh, we'll pray.
I'm getting hungry anyway. Well, we can say with these, these people that have gone before us that there's no one like Jehovah. You're the, the God of promise. You're the God that keeps his promises. You're the God that no one can stop from keeping his promises. You're the God that keeps his promises in the right way at the right time for your glory and for the good of your people. And Lord, I, I pray for us that in our believing, we would be obeying. That we would be demonstrating our faith by passing it on, by worshiping in advance, by following through with what you say. So Lord, help all of us to look closely at our own lives and consider where it is that we're unbelieving. Where's that place in our armor that is exposed and is making us vulnerable? Help us, Lord, to be believing. Help us to trust you so that we don't live having been promised, but living as if we never had been promised. So help us to trust you, Lord. So Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, help us to worship you. You're good. And Lord, I thank you for my church family. I do pray that you would encourage their hearts today, that you would bless them and um, help them to encourage one another and to spur each other on to good works. In Jesus' name, amen.